0: Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that even when the world feels, feels like it's fallen apart, when things seem like they are not right, thank you that you're still the king, that you still reign, that you're coming, that you're returning, that your saving grace saves us now and saves us then. And Lord, we look forward to when you will come and make everything right. And until then, Lord, may we trust you, may we do our part. Uh, to rescue those around us, and to keep everybody's eyes turned towards you where they need to be. If you agree with that prayer, please say amen. amen. All right. Let's thank the Lord one more time. So I was thinking about that song, and it talks about Jesus being the king and him reigning. And I was thinking about how we are in a drought. Have any of you noticed this? that we are in a drought recently. And, and I think as, as Christians, especially as, as American Christians, sometimes we just accept the stuff that's happening in our world and we're like, well, what can I do? And I think the Lord would say, you could pray. Yeah, but what can I do? You can pray that things change rather than just accepting things the way that they are in politics, in culture, in the environment. With weather, with what, right? Aren't there a few times in Scripture when somebody prayed and the weather was affected? Okay, so, I, I, but I think here, it's even bigger than this. If we have tons of rain, but we don't have Jesus raining, then we've missed it. But I think the, the drought is a great metaphor for what's happening spiritually in our nation. So what if we pray for both? What if we pray for rain to come because we need it and because as people of God we can ask for it, And what if we also pray that the reign of Jesus would come in families and neighborhoods and communities and all over the place? Amen? Amen? So how about if you join me in that prayer and don't just make this like, we prayed about that at church once. Take it with you as a prayer. When you see the dry hills, just go, oh yeah. And when you see dry people, oh yeah. And keep on praying. So Lord, we lift up the dry hills Um, that used to be golden and are now brown. And we ask for your rain to come. We ask for physical rain. We ask that this drought shift and change and it would not define us for the next few years. Um, And that, that Lord, you do it because that's a miraculous thing that you want to do. Uh, And we also ask for dry lives and dry families and dry churches and dry communities that, Holy Spirit, you would rain. Uh, that Jesus, you would be obvious, that you would break in, and uh, that you're, you would bring living water where people are just so thirsty for something real. Amen. We ask all that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. 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 And also, I want to throw out a prayer, everybody, to Chip, who's at Los Robles Hospital, heart issues, kidney issues, but just, Chip, we love you. We're praying for you, and may God heal you. And I'm, I'm still praying for him that God will restore him and use him to, uh, to lead and pastor those in some pretty underserved communities in our area. So he's got a unique story and, and can reach some people we can never reach. Uh, last week we talked about three pictures from the book of 2 Timothy, uh, and those being how to be a good soldier, how to be a good athlete, how to be a good farmer. And, and obviously they have deep spiritual meaning. If you missed it, catch up. It was a, it was a really solid week uh, with practical insight about how do you get it together as you follow Jesus and how do you help others around you. This week, Paul gives Timothy three more pictures. These ones are a little bit more specific. It's how do you lead others? How do you become the right leader and influencer and teacher of the people around you? Uh, and And the three pictures are, how do you be an unashamed worker, how do you be a useful vessel, a clean vessel, and how do you be a gentle servant? And so those are the three things we're going to talk about today. And we're also going to talk about false teachers, because that is the context. So what happened is, Paul left Ephesus, and um, it's like a thriving, uh, pretty incredible uh, city, for trade and influence and wealth and power and religion. And so Paul took off, left Timothy as the young pastor in charge of this difficult situation. And now false teachers have infiltrated their ranks. The people are confused. Some people have lost faith over it. And so he says, hey, Timothy, let me tell you how to address that. Let me tell you how to be a good leader. Let me tell you how to influence others. And let me tell you what to do about those dudes that are messing things up. So that's our context for today. I'm going to cover a bunch of scripture today. So buckle your seatbelt and stay with me. Um, and some of you are not used to eating this much scripture, so you'll, you'll be like, man, that was a lot. But here's the thing. Don't think I'm going, to script, I'm going to church so that I can hear Kirk read verses. Think about this. Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do about it? How do you want to, how do you want to speak to me through the holy spirit in 2nd Timothy. Okay? So that way it's not like blah 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 and so and so and so and so. And so. It's holy spirit what about me? Amen. Okay. You're with me. That's good. 2nd 2 Timothy 2:14. 2, I'm going to ask you to stand up as I read God's word. I just love showing honor to the Lord this way. Verse 14, "Keep reminding people of these things, and that was to be a soldier, to be an athlete, to be a farmer. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. Those who indulge in it even more ungodly their teaching will spread like gangrene among them are hymenaeus and philetus who have departed from the truth they say that the resurrection has already taken place that's the second that's not jesus resurrection that's when he returns for believers they say that already took place and they destroy the faith of some nevertheless god's solid foundation stands firm sealed with this inscription the lord knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Look around. Those are the people around you right now who want to pursue the Lord that way. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Two more verses. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You can be seated. So let's walk through these verses together. Verse 15 talks about being an approved worker. What, is, what does that even mean? It's not just about actions, it's about attitude. You can do the right stuff but with the wrong heart. And so he is ta- uh, Paul is telling him to be humble and to be confident and to avoid quarreling over stuff. Basically, don't be petty and defend yourself is what he's telling him. And then it says correctly handle God's word. And literally, the word there is to rightly divide. Some of your translations say that. And that, is, that, that really has two meanings in Greek. One is I'm a chef, and I'm rightly dividing the meat and distributing it appropriately. The other one is that I'm a roadmaker, I'm rightly dividing the hills with a straight path. And so, both of these work for the, this, this picture to Timothy. Um, be careful what you do with God's word. Steward it well. And that shows that you will be an approved worker if you avoid controversies because they don't matter as much as the gospel getting out to people. Major on the majors and do it with the right heart is what he's saying. Verse 17 and 18 talks about false teachers. And so uh, the last couple weeks we've talked about the gospel. What is the pure gospel? It's about Jesus Christ. Uh, died, resurrected, and invited us into new life, the gospel. But these false teachers come along, and then, as well as now, people fall for it. Why in the world would people fall for these guys who are saying, oh, the resurrection already happened, hey, come follow me instead of Paul, instead of Timothy? What is wrong with them? I think the same thing that's wrong with us and with some, some of our friends sometimes Sometimes the false teacher brings something new and interesting. And the new interesting thing is more intriguing to us than the old true thing. Right? Which is really dangerous because we follow the brand new thing and we want the new knowledge and I want to know better than you do and that just sounds really cool, but it's not true. Uh, in, In fact, sometimes it gives us what our itching ears want to hear. And that, that idea occurs in Scripture where it's uh, people gather around themselves teachers who say what they want to say, what, what they want to hear, rather than telling them the truth. Um, and, and here's the other thing. Often, we will find a teacher who, who allows us to stay living in our sin. Because, ooh, that dude, man, he calls it out. Man, when she teaches, it just makes me uncomfortable. That's probably the Holy Spirit, Right? And, and then we, but we, we would go away from that person. Well, they're just mean. Well, they're, they're trying to love you into Christ's kingdom. And they may tell you something straight that you don't like. And you would rather go listen to somebody else who does not call you out because it feels better. 2 Timothy 4 3. Uh, we'll get, the, get to this verse in a couple weeks, but it, it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We all have friends like this that that would rather watch YouTube than show up here, that that would rather watch the news or listen to a podcast of their favorite thing rather than spend time in God's Word. 2 2 Corinthians 11, this is interesting. It, It says, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than what we preached or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel, you put up with it easily enough. This is Paul's criticism of the church he planted, saying, really? Like, you're running after all kinds of stuff that isn't true. And Galatians 1, again, this is the church in Galatia, he says, I'm astonished that you're turning to a different gospel. And it's really no gospel at all. And so if... You're hearing somebody preach, and it sounds different than what you learned. Be careful. If it sounds different than the gospel that you have read and know, and that you know you've heard Billy Graham say, when I was five, I was watching Billy Graham on TV with my mom, and I heard him talk about heaven and hell and Jesus and resurrection, and I went, "You don't want that." And and I was, I was ready. Like I, I want to be with you and mom. I want to be with Billy he seems pretty cool, and how do I, you know, sign me up, and, and mom led me through, you know, you're a sinner, and here's what you've done, and here's what heaven looks like, invite the spirit into your life, and I did it. If I hear stuff that doesn't match up with that, it's probably wrong. Even if it sounds interesting and new, and wow, listen to this grand, brand new teacher who's got this idea, we got to be careful. Because Paul says, verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven preaches a gospel, other than the one that preached to you, let them be under God's curse. There are some movements and religions that say, hey, an angel said this to me. Hey, I've got this new revelation. Hey, I've got... If it contradicts the gospel, cut it out. Right verse 18. Why is it a big deal to deny the future resurrection? Because these guys believed, yes, Jesus rose... Yes, Jesus is king, but we already have resurrection through baptism, through conversion. We don't need him to come back. I, my body does not need to be raised in the last day. The problem is, Jesus said it would be. And Jesus said that's part of the deal, is I'm going to be with you forever. But in Greek culture, they felt like spirit good, body bad. Who in their right mind would resurrect an evil body? He would because it's his plan for us. Even if we don't like it, even if it doesn't make sense in our culture, even if the Greeks are like, ah, you know, that doesn't work with my religion. And and Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if it works with your Greek religion. Either you believe that Jesus came and said what he said or not. He said, I'm going to raise you in the last day. And it doesn't matter if you like that or don't like that idea, it's part of the gospel. And so we, we recognize that, and we don't try to try to downplay the resurrection. in, in fact, it's um, it, it it keeps it keeps us focused on on forever, on eternity. We're we we are uh, spiritual beings having a physical experience. We're eternal beings stuck here on this planet for a little while, and without that, the whole thing doesn't really make sense. Right on. But the Greeks used to say the body is a tomb. So they would see your body as a dead end. And then Christianity turns that upside down and says, no, your body is a tool, not a tomb. And you use it for a certain amount of time and then you set it aside for what's next. Right. Verse 19. Oh, you know what? Let's talk about this. How do you recognize false teachers? How do you, how do you just, if you're listening to something on YouTube, if, you're, uh, if you go to a new church and you listen to somebody talk, Or if your friend says, oh, listen to this. How do you know? Uh, A couple of things um, are are clear, and and I want to invite you to not check on YouTube this person's name to see if they're a heretic or not. Because I'm probably a heretic on YouTube. And so many wonderful, fantastic, responsible, gospel-centered teachers are called out as not true on YouTube. So you cannot trust YouTube. Right? It's like trusting a 5-year-old with your future. It's just not it's not going to work. But so a couple things that do work. One is spend time in God's word every day and especially look for Jesus in God's word and keep coming back to him. And uh spend time in prayer saying, Lord, help me understand this and help me be with you and listen to the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to be working in your life. So, so far I've got my feet under me with God's word and the spirit. Now here's the other thing that helps a lot is being in community with other people. And so I can say to Len, my friend sent me this thing and it doesn't seem right. And then Len will go, yeah, that guy's nuts. (laughs) Right? But if And I've seen this, especially the last couple years with COVID and isolation, that people have listened to and embraced teachings that are pretty wrong, that are not gospel-centered, that are not what, what God's word says in its purity. And they'll just take it, and they'll get prophetic and weird and take it all kinds of funny places. But if they're not in community to have a sounding board and some accountability, man, we can get lost pretty darn fast. Okay. Verse 19. God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. And these are paraphrases from the Old Testament. The Lord knows who are his. That's you. The Lord knows he's got you. The Lord knows he's put you together with each other. And he knows that you are his people. And it's interesting, though, that he doesn't just stop there. He says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So it's, it's like this, uh, this little joint, two ideas are joined together. He's got you, loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So he has you on a, on a, in a process of sanctification to daily choose away from who you used to be into who you're becoming. And, and so we might say, well, he wants me to be perfect, and I'm not perfect, and i never be. no. The Lord is more concerned with where you're headed than what you've accomplished. Right? So, yeah, I'm not perfect. <laughs> None of us are. That, that actually is really refreshing to say you're not perfect and uh, to, gra- to understand that. That's a great starting place. And, and to say he is perfect, okay, so far so good, and I want to aim towards him with my life. That's great. And we are in the process of being made holy. But we ain't, we ain't there yet. Okay, so let's talk about paper plates. <laughs> Just for fun. How many of you like paper plates? How many of you have them in your house? How many of you hate paper plates? Be honest, okay. So some people, I've found a few people, they grew up with paper plates like, and, and they're over it because they grew up like, without means and, they're, and they feel like the paper plates remind them of their humble upbringing and they're like, mm, okay. You'll know where I'm going with this in a minute. Think about, maybe you've, you've had this question asked of you at a party sometime, but think of one person throughout history, living or dead, that you would want to invite over for dinner. One famous person. Hmm. Gandhi, Jesus, Oprah, right? Who's, who's your person that you, th- okay, you don't have to say it out loud, but you have, do you have one person in mind that you would probably invite over for dinner? Would you use paper plates? Or would you probably pull out the good stuff? So in this passage, this is the idea of honor, noble, um, something for important use versus something for common use. Verse 20, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, they're talking about a mansion, but also wooden clay. Some are for special purposes, some are for common use. In other words, some are for toasting and some are for collecting trash. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master, and prepared to do every or any good work. So notice three words in verse 21. Holy means set apart. So it has a particular purpose. I'm not using my wine goblet for trash. It's not what it's for. I'm not using my trash can for wine, That's not what it's for, right? The next one is useful and the last one is prepared. So the idea is a precious metal versus something that's disposable, something that's temporary, something that's breakable. It's something that's beautiful versus something that's common or ordinary. And and I I feel like this is a picture for us of, I, I wanna be a goblet that serves living water to a thirsty world. I, I don't want to be a second thought for a couple of years where people throw their trash on me. Right? And and there's there's a part of our lives, he's he's saying you have some control over this. You can say, I want my life to be useful, or you could say, I hope my life is useful someday. You could say, how could I become more useful? Or you could say, I wish I was like so-and-so. Do you see the difference? Because we have some control in this to say, Lord, who have you created me to be? He did not make me like Tammy or Dave. And that's good and bad, but it's just his thing. He's made me me. So how do I be the best me for his glory? What kind of vessel does he want me to be? He wants me to be clean and useful, available. And he wants me to see myself from his perspective. I also think about the articles in the temple. So there were, um, 2,000 years ago, there were articles in the temple made of gold or bronze or, uh, or clay that had a special purpose. If you went a mile uh, north, you could find a similar thing in somebody's house that was not consecrated for worship to the Lord. But it looked the same. You have the same goblet, same tray, same plate, made by the same person, same craftsman. It paid the same amount of money for it. But one's in the temple and one's not. You're in the temple. In fact, God's Word says you are that temple. So you're set apart. Romans 12 talks about offering our lives as living sacrifices, our bodies, our whole selves, which is the container of who you are so that God can use you for his glory, which is worship. And, and the word worship means worth. He's worth something. And as your life is given over to him and useful to him, guess what? You become worth something. Because now you're doing something that matters for eternity. Or before you weren't. Before you were just in the house. Before you were the trash can, and now you're the goblet giving out living water. That, that is something. And it, what's interesting is it doesn't make you cool. It doesn't make you awesome, it, it just makes you useful. Because he is the one that brings the power and the purpose. I, I just happen to be used by the boss for, for what he created me for. Yeah. So, so here's a question for each of us. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as clean or dirty? And why? Do you see yourself as useful or not so useful? Yeah, but I went through, you know, the, the eight divorces and I have this going on and I've got, you know, 14 stepkids, right? You might, I've, I've met people with like Jerry Springer type life stories and, and sometimes they feel like that disqualifies them for being useful to the kingdom. But it's interesting how God recycles our junk and he uses it against the enemy. What the enemy means for evil, he means for good. So he takes your junk, your alcoholism, your uh, your addictions, your past, your broken relationships, and then he goes, I'm going to use you to help others that have that problem. And it's amazing to see how it restores us and restores others when we're just willing to be used, rather than saying, I'm not useful. So rather than say, how do I see myself, say, God, how do you see me? How do, how do you want to use my past? How do, you want to, how do you want to use all of who I am? Not just the parts I like, but how do you want to use and recycle, upcycle me? So before we move on, just pray about that. And just say, Lord, help me to see myself as useful in your eyes. And believe me, if you are breathing, how many of you are breathing? He has a plan. How he's going to use your life for his glory. If you're not breathing... That's a whole different story. Okay, okay. So let's let's get on to this next section. Verse 24. We've talked about being an unashamed worker. We've talked about being a clean vessel. Now he talks about being gentle, being a a, a servant to all. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but, but must be kind, able to teach, not resentful. He gently instructs people in the hope that God will grant them repentance. It's interesting that the goal is not being right and winning. The goal is not about winning arguments, but winning souls. We have screwed this up the last three years big time because we've tried to win arguments and prove our point, especially on Facebook, and so many people have left Facebook. So Facebook used to be a way to influence some people with good. But it was misused and weaponized, and it's, you know, could you still use it for good? Yeah. But it's lost a lot of its power, and it's lost a lot of its possibility, its potential, because it was misused. And I think that we have misused our voices, some of us. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my dad. He put something out on Facebook right at the beginning of COVID that had some conspiracy theory stuff all woven together, and then in the, last, the last line said, think about it. And then I've read 100 of those. Usually that's a bad sign if it ends with think about it. But um, maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud. But, But it was interesting. I got a call from somebody that said, hey, did you see what your dad posted? And it was somebody that I know and respect. And I said, oh, I looked at it. And I called my dad and I said, now, dad, some of what you said is true, and some of it can't be proven false. But I'm not sure that that is what you want to say with your influence in the community because you're going to lose some traction with some people who really love and respect you and respect how you stand for Jesus. And so we had a few little conversations back and forth, and then he ended up pulling it down, not because it was some big wrong thing. It just wasn't the right way of representing the gospel in that moment. So I think, I think for us, we got to not post quick, not share quick, but just think, is, is that honoring to him? And, and what's my goal? Is my goal to prove a point, or is my goal to win souls and help them to see him? And so, so what I want to do is I want to use God's word like a surgeon would use a scalpel uh, rather than how an executioner would use a sword. So the goal is health and restoration, not Uh, tearing someone down or ruining their reputation or creating a big barrier. So at the end of our discussions about theology, about practice, about social issues, are we closer to the Lord? It's a good test. Am I closer to my Christian brothers and sisters? I think that's a way of getting after what he's talking about in 2 Timothy of quarrels and strife and division and all this uh, stuff that, that creates problems Now, it doesn't mean that we ignore the truth. It just means we have to steward it right. And I can say to Rob, Rob, I think you're wrong. And in friendship, we can talk about it. I don't have to post on Facebook that Rob is wrong and prove why. It's true. Okay, let's talk about gentleness. So in our culture, gentleness in some ways is not cool, especially for leaders, and and it can be seen as weak. Um, But gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's in the list in Galatians 5. It's also a sign of spiritual maturity. And, and so, there, but there are a lot of leaders and teachers and pastors that are not gentle. Now, here's the crazy part. For some of your personality types, it's easier to be gentle. For some of your personality types, that is hard. And you're like, maybe I just shouldn't say anything at all, right? But you're still not off the hook. It's still a fruit of the Spirit it's still in 2 Timothy, it's still a challenge to become more gentle in how you lead others. So, let me let me throw this out. Um, false teachers. Don't listen to someone's teaching if their life doesn't match, match their message. And this is a thing. Right? Um, so, you could listen to a sermon or YouTube or whatever, or a podcast or read a thing, but Notice this, Jesus' life matched his message. He lived a life of love and sacrifice. If if someone is telling you stuff and taking your stuff, that's different than loving you and sacrificing for you. Don't listen to someone who is not willing to love you and sacrifice for you. So I think that's a good starting place. Because often someone's life will not show uh, the gospel even if their words show the gospel. Yeah, but it sounds true, but he said this thing. He said this thing on Twitter that I loved. That was so good. You can hear truth from anybody. There's a donkey in Scripture that spoke truth, right? And the, the most dangerous lie is one that contains truth. Sometimes people are truthy. It sounds right, but it's not totally right. And so we need the discernment of the Spirit, and we need the community around us. So now St. Paul talks about where all this falsehood ends up, where it leads. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. See if this sounds like our culture. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Interesting that that made it on this list of the culture falling apart ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. And it goes on, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the kicker. We would say, oh yeah, man, save me from this culture. Culture is so messed up. You are right. We should all move to Montana so that we don't have to deal with this in California, right? The problem is now you guys have all gone to Montana and screwed it up. Okay, but, in in fact, I was talking with somebody who lives in Texas, and they're like, it's just as bad here. Like, what the heck's going on? Okay, but here's the kicker, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He's not talking about the culture out there, the church in contrast, we're so great and it's so messed up. He's saying these are religious people. These are you guys. These are the teachers in in your ranks that you're listening to. These are the leaders that are not gentle, that are living for themselves. This is not an easy passage to read and go, let's just avoid the world. This is the world has crept in. And it's part of us and it can't be here. What do we do about it? And then he says, have nothing to do with such people. And they're like, I like look around and I'm like, we got to kick some of you guys out of here. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's what he's saying. So notice what it says. It says, lovers of self, money, and pleasure is in contrast to two things, lovers of good and lovers of God. So we have to take that as an evaluation of ourselves. Am I focused on self and money and pleasure? And sometimes we are and we don't know it. Or am I focused on good and got the good, which means the good that God wants to do in me, the good he wants to do in the world? Yeah. Interesting. Ephesus had money and success and power and influence and religion and everything. And he's talking in a culture kind of like us, more religious than we are, but just as much affluence and power. So, so think about you. How do you know what you love? How do you know where you fall on this continuum or on this list? A couple questions. Do you love to help others succeed? That's a sign that you may not be very selfish if you love to help others. Do you like to put people first? Yeah, but it's hard for me. That's fine. But do you, does it amp you up to help somebody else, to put others first, to open the door for them, to speak into their lives, to help, them with their, to help them move their boxes? Well, I hate that. Okay, start where you are. Do you think of God first, or do you think of yourself first in the morning? There's somebody that's, you know, there's the, oh, God, it's morning, versus good morning, Lord. Right? Those are both conversations with the Lord, but one's about me and one's about Him. Right on. Do you give money to help people? Well, people don't deserve it, yeah, but they'll use it for the wrong thing. A lot of times those are excuses. We have to be wise. Do you invest money in God's work? Hmm. What consumes your mind? What consumes your time? What do you, what do you think about? What do you dream about? What, what wakes you up at night? we got to be careful because we live in a culture where self is king, where money is everywhere, where pleasure is everywhere. For the first time in history, you can do whatever you want, anytime you want. Caesar, 2,000 years ago, could not have lobster for dinner anytime he wanted. You can. He, he couldn't listen to his favorite band at any, day of the, any day of the week. He couldn't do it. You can do all kinds of stuff that people in previous cultures could not do. That comes with responsibility. And human nature is love of self. So it's it's already in you. What happens, though, is we have to have a holy war against it. And through the Spirit, we say, I'm going to kick out, through your power, Lord, as much selfishness as I can today, rather than accepting it and just saying, well, that's just how I am. So these people claimed to have godliness. That means to know God but their powerless lives showed that it was false they were deceived and now Timothy had to say guys you're deceived you think you're following god you're not look at your life your life looks more like the culture than than like jesus you've bought in you haven't really left your culture is what he was saying and i feel like we're in a we're in a like a, a challenge with power right now with with Edison, where some people get their power turned off and et cetera, I think that's a good metaphor of there were a lot. There are a lot of Christian lives where the power grid has been shut down, or we're not connected to it. So we can go on for a little while in our Christian activity, and we're going to church, and I'm singing the songs, and I'm doing this thing. But if I'm not connected to the Lord and to His power, eventually that just runs out, and and I've got I got nothing to show for it. I'm I'm running on empty, and so the challenge is to come back and repent and say, Lord, you're right, I've been living for myself. I've been thinking about me, not you. I would rather look out for me than somebody else. And, and I don't have enough time on earth to put my time into me. I mean, we don't know how long we have. I want to make sure that I'm spending the time that God gives me as a blessing to somebody else and to help others have a step up into his kingdom. So there was nothing holy coming into these people, and so nothing good was going out of them. Look at this warning from Titus 1. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. That is quite a heavy warning. And and it's clear what he means. Be careful. Be fit for doing good. Don't be unfit for doing good. Okay, so let's, let's wrap this up. I want to have the band come up. Um, some of you are like, man, the band is finally coming up. <laughs> so do you want to be useful in God's hands? Yep. Only Len and Chris want to be useful. In- <laughs> do you want to be useful in God's hand? Yes. Tell him so. Does he know that? Well, yeah, you know, it says in Scripture that I'm supposed to, I read this verse yesterday that, make this a conversation. This is not a guilt trip from the pastor that you should live better. This is inviting you into a conversation with the Lord that he wants to have with you. He said, I've created you. I've empowered you. I've saved you. I've sent you. Now, do you want to be useful to me or not? And I would say, yes, please, help me be that. And and sometimes there's stuff in me that keeps me from being useful. There there are habits, there's ways of thinking, there's stuff that fills up my schedule. I know a couple people that work so many hours that they have nothing left to give the Lord. And the enemy's like, sweet, got them. Check. Interesting that something good or neutral like work, work is good, can become the thing that keeps us from serving the Lord. I think that's that's interesting there there may be something bless you there may be something in your life that keeps you from serving the lord and it's not it's not a bad thing it's just a thing it could be a a a relationship or a desire for a relationship or a a a doubt or or a for some for some of it's it's a regret i wish i hadn't and that's with you every day and the lord wants to I, i feel like that that was not in my notes The Lord wants to say that to somebody here. There's a regret that keeps you from being useful to the Lord. And that's not from Him. He's not laying that on you and going, Oh, you know, you better keep that right in front of you. You know, I want to punish you. No. He's your loving Father who says, I have forgiven you. Forgive yourself. Wipe that out. Now take some steps and be useful in my kingdom. Not because you have to. Because you want to. Because you feel forgiven. and You feel to be with him and in him and useful for him. So here's the other thing. Some of us can look good on the outside, but inside we're not loving people and we're not loving the Lord. And that goes back to our previous series where we were talking about the Shema. We need to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And maybe we look like that, like, hey, I'm good on the outside, and we're not doing that on the inside. And maybe we desire to love people but we really struggle with that bring that before the lord and say lord i want to be a better lover of you and i want to be a better lover of people and just get honest with that and that's part of how he wants to use you and how he's going to use you as a vessel for his purpose so so how about if we pray uh about those things and and also there's there's one last thing that i that i do want to say some of you and some of us have listened to some false teaching and we may still follow somebody who's a mess. Their life is a mess, but their teaching sounds okay. Or you know that their teaching is truthy, it's got some good and some bad. Why would you spend more time? Just let it go. And so I want to lead us through a prayer of usefulness and a prayer of leaving some of that false stuff behind. So would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we start with the the falsehood and and Lord, there have been a lot of false teachers. Um, I think there are as many news channels now as there are people. Um, I feel like, Lord, there, there are so many teachers even in and out of the church that say what itching ears want to hear. Help us, Jesus, to come back to you, the truth of who you are. By your spirit, guide us. Give us a rudder. By your holy word, may we follow you and not the, not the, um, the winds of culture. And, and may your spirit blow on us and propel us forward. And Lord, may we stay straight on target with you even in the storms of life. Forgive us when we have listened to things that are not true. Convict us of the thing, those things and weed them out of our lives. Weed the untruth that we've taken in. And, and Lord, help it, help it to go away and fall away in your name, Jesus. And Lord, I ask for us to be useful vessels in your hands. Uh, Lord, help us to just picture ourselves in your temple. We get to serve you. We get to be part of worship We have to help others worship you. And Lord, only in that can our lives matter. So Lord, I ask for those who see themselves as not useful, as not clean, Lord, that right now you would help each of us to see ourselves from your perspective, from your view, as clean, as useful, as perfect, just how you created us. And Lord, help us to see the promise and the calling that you have for each of us to be part of your mission to reach others. Lord, I ask that you would uh, remove these regrets from people we were talking about earlier. In Jesus' name, may regret fall away and lose its power and be replaced with love and grace. May your grace wash over our hearts and our lives and our souls. And Lord, may we be purveyors of grace where we take it to all those around us and we can't wait to share what we have found in you. Thank you, Jesus. Make us a church full of people that love others well and that love you well. In your name, amen.